Hello, everyone. This is Brad Thomas with iRead, and thanks for joining us today uh, for another CEO Roundtable interview. Uh, today, I'm really honored and pleased to have uh, one of our first uh, CEOs with us here on iRead, uh, Jeff Witherall. Jeff is the CEO of uh, Plymouth Real Estate. I make sure I get that correct. Ticker symbol PLYM. Uh, Jeff, it's good to see you today. Yes, Brad, it's, it's good to be seen here on, uh, on Zoom. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, that's the kind of world we've been living in for now uh, a couple quarters, and it looks like it's going to go that way uh, a little longer than that. But, uh, well, your company has actually benefited, I guess, or the business model uh, being in the, the warehousing sector, obviously a lot better than hotels or theaters or restaurants. So you've got a fairly uh, you know, necessity-driven business model. But would you mind telling the audience here, uh, about Plymouth and uh, when you went public and, and uh, kind of what you're up to today. Sure. So yes, we, we, we uh, went public in June of 2017. So we just crossed our three year anniversary here. Um, we didn't have a party because you can't do any gatherings together. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, a good milestone for us. We, um, you know, we're in the industrial space as you just mentioned. So warehouses, logistics, uh, facilities, distribution facilities, some fulfillment, uh, you know, centers. We can get into the, the specifics of that if you want later on, because uh, there is a difference between um, between these type of facilities, if you will. But very utilitarian type properties. Uh, we call them rectangles. Um, you know, big boxes. Um, you know, making sure we have the right, uh, you know, parking, cross docking, and things like that. So these are not. You know, special use or single use buildings. I always say we don't buy oil refineries or cement plants, right? So, so very, very, very um, again, utilitarian is my favorite word. Yeah. And, and in terms of you're based in Boston. So what markets are you in? What are your primary markets today? Right. So we have, uh, we are based in Boston. Uh, we have a few properties in New England, uh, but we have an office in Columbus, Ohio. We also have an office in Jacksonville, Florida. And the, Columbus region, as we like to call it, encompasses Cleveland, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, and obviously Columbus. We have a big presence in Chicago, um, about 4 million square feet in Chicago. We have a, a fairly sizable presence in Atlanta, Memphis, uh, and then obviously Jacksonville, Florida. And we've recently entered the St. Louis market. You'll see some, some things from us. Uh, you know, we, we've bought a few buildings already. We're looking at a few more. And uh, we entered the Savannah market last year as well. Great. So uh, when, you, when you look at new markets, I mean, it looks like those are what I would con consider some, somewhat secondary in nature, not really, you know, gateway or, or really what I would call NFL markets. So, um, you know, I live in, I'm in uh, Greenville, Spartanburg, South Carolina, uh, you know, comparable Savannah, Jacksonville, some of those, some of those, uh, some of those uh, markets that you're in. Why is it that you're in those markets? Are you, uh, is it just ha uh, harder to transact business because you have more competition or what's your, what's the reason that you're in these, uh, these markets? Yeah, those are, those are the questions, right? Those are, everyone asked that question. Um, you know, the answer is probably a little more complex. It's, you know, but it's not, it's not formulaic, right? This wasn't a formula driven uh, um, scenario that we got into. It really is a situation where, you know, places like uh, Columbus, the center of the country, there's a huge distribution markets. Um, so when we do enter a, a market, so as you kind of asked that question earlier about markets, we're really interested in going into a market where we can build scale. 
So if there's not a large concentration of, again, primarily class B, we own class A, but primarily class B industrial real estate, if there needs to be a large pool of that product, first of all, and there needs to be enough so we can gain scale in a market. So as we're in St. Louis, you know, we own a couple of properties, we'll be buying a few more, I'm sure, and hopefully a few more after that. So we'll have some sort of scale, but we have, we have large scale, obviously in the Columbus region, we have large scale in Memphis, Atlanta, and obviously Chicago. So, you know, it depends on who you ask. You say gateway markets. Well, I would consider Atlanta and Chicago to be both primary industrial markets, right? right. Maybe not on the scale of, of Dallas or, you know, parts of Arizona now, uh, and then obviously California and places, but, but solid markets. So that's what we're looking for. We also have another theme that we work off of, which is skilled blue collar workers, you know, large pool, labor pool of skilled blue collar workers. And so that, that theme that we run on is, is evident in the markets we're in. And, 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 and this, is, this is feedback from tenants. So I've, I've kind of coined you know, a little quip, if you will, where you know, tenants have told me, we're in Cincinnati, which happens to be one of the you know, tightest industrial markets in the country. And you know, they're, they're in Cincinnati, they do light manufacturing, they need skilled labor to do that. And they'll explain to me that, that their person works in the factory, the spouse may have a, you know, another type of job, maybe, may, maybe not earn as much as the factory worker. And they have a house and a couple of cars and a couple of kids and they can take their kids to Disney World every couple of years. It's a pretty good quality of life at that inc income level. And there are a lot of places in this country where that doesn't work anymore. I would say Austin, Texas is one. I mean, back, back when I was at my previous employer, you know who they are. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time in Texas. We own a lot of property in Texas and that's, you know, 2000, 2005, circa that area. And you know, Austin was very affordable. I mean, in the last 15 years, I mean, it's become, you know, a very expensive place to live, real estate, what have you, if you're anywhere near Austin, right? If you want to drive 40 miles out, you start to get a little more affordable. And that's, that's true of the East Coast, as you know, um, maybe not quite Carolinas, but it's becoming expensive in certain areas. And then, of course, the West Coast, you know, from California to Seattle and Portland, it's just expensive, Um so where you, when, when you're in markets like Memphis and uh, Jacksonville for, for now, parts of, parts of Florida are becoming un, un, unaffordable on the east coast of Florida. So when you're in markets uh, you know, like Cleveland and Columbus, um, uh, you know, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, these are places where skilled workers, uh, you know, the cost of living is decent, they're great distribution markets, they're great places to manufacture and light assemble products. And so that's one of our themes too, as opposed to, you know, just going into just the gateway market and buying, um, you know, huge distribution facilities, you know, at low cap rates. You know, that's just, it's somebody, a lot of other people do that. We don't, we kind of serve a kind of a, a niche, if you will. Right. Well, let's talk about the cap rates, I guess, and, and really how your company, um, um, you know, is able to um, grow the business utilizing its cost of capital. Now, Plymouth is the one of the uh, you know cheapest, I guess, for lack of a better word, REITs, industrial REITs today, trading at one of the lowest multiples. Um, still is not really recovered from the COVID. Um, you know, you were trading at about almost nineteen dollars a share, eighteen seventy-seven, still down to about thirteen forty. Uh, a lot of the industrial peers have moved back, uh, moved back up. 
obviously. So your cost of capital today is not as great on an equity side, but, but recently you, you, uh, you did uh, raise some money. And um, so can you talk about kind of where you, you know, how you're investing today accretively and, uh, and able to, you know, continue to grow uh, the, you know, FFO per share, the earnings per share? Yeah, certainly. So I think you said a lot there and there's a yeah. question there somewhere, but you know, <laughs> Yeah, we, we have not recovered from COVID um, in the market's eyes, right? In our eyes, we've done very well. Our collections are as good, if not better, than any other industrial read out there. Uh, we work closely with our tenants. And I think it's, it's a testament to the team that we've built, but it's also a testament to the type of real estate that we own. Uh, and, um, you know, how, how critical that is to, to operating, you know, America operating. So, um, you know, and cap rates tell only part of the story. Right. There's a, you know, there's a whole definition as to you get into cap rates and why would you buy something with a high cap rate versus low cap rates and, you know, tenant, tenant rollover, are they below market, above market. You know, this, again, this isn't rocket science, but it's a little more complex than sometimes just what the cap rate is all about. Right. Um, so, you know, our thinking um, in, in the feedback we received was that, yes, in, in March we were at X and now we're at Y and part of the issue was kind of a risk off. You know, I, th I think what people have looked at with us is, well, they're a small cap read, and they stop there now. When you go back to March, I think they were like, well, they're small cap, but they're industrial. Or somebody would say they're industrial, but they're small cap. So I think people would give you a pass in February, where now they're not giving a lot of passes out, right? They want liquidity, it's small cap. Now, the difference for us, we believe, is that we're in the best asset class, lucky for us. So right. You know, it's our heritage, don't get us wrong, but we understand, you know, it's not all us. Uh, but uh, so the the overriding factor for us raising equity um, is that, you know, when you look at the whole, it's accretive. What I mean by the whole is look where industrial is. Look at the projections. I don't, I'm sure you've seen them, but I'll, I'll reiterate them here for you. You know, JLL came out about five weeks ago and, and put the demand at about a billion square feet in the next five years. Now, we have all kinds of paid research that was showing that the demand was four or 500 million square feet. And I think Prologis talks about 400 million square feet of product for them. Now, they're more of a class A, you know, big, big facility type player. We're not. So, you know, obviously Prologis is talking about the 400 for them. Obviously, it's more for everyone else. So I believe it. We, we believe that the billion square feet is something that's there. If you believe in that, you have to put that into context. The billion square feet, and that's like the entire Chicago region of industrial space from class C to class A. If you think we can build that much square footage in places where people want it or need it, I don't see how that happens, right? I mean, it's easy if we go out in the desert in Nevada and we can build it all there, but that's not where it needs to be. So the demand drivers are there. We believe it. And I can, I can touch on that uh, on some other areas that we're seeing drivers that we didn't think we'd see it. Um, and I can give you a quick example of that. Um, so that to us is where, you know, long-term you want to be an industrial, we serve a special place in it. You know, some of our peers have recovered They're they're much bigger market caps. And I think if, if you go to other asset classes and REITs, and again, you know this better than I do, you have a whole selection of, of, um, you know, there might be 10 or 15 REITs that 
are, you know, start from small cap, go to mid cap, and then they go to, you know, they go to 20, 30 billion dollars, whatever it might be, just, just, you know, the whole spectrum. You go to the industrial space, you don't have that spectrum. You know, you've got three, four, five billion, uh, you know, market cap REITs and, and one that, that we will not name that $60 billion or $80 billion, who knows what they are today. Uh, I don't even look at those folks because that's just, there's a global enterprise. And so there's us and then there's them. So there's nobody in the middle. We plan to be that one in the middle. You know, I don't know if we'll catch up or not, but we're going to try to catch up and we're going to try to grow that business. And, and, and that's where I think this last equity raise went off very well for us, very well executed, oversubscribed by over 30%. Um, so we raised in excess of $100 million of capital for us, which was great. And if I, if I, I can't show you the list of institutional investors that joined us, but there was a, a lot of them, a lot more than uh, uh, names I've never heard of before, and some, some names that you would all know. And uh, they came into the stock in, in, in a big way to support us. And I just think that's, you know, I think we've done a great job in the last three years, but I think, you know, we're an industrial and we, we and, and the drivers are there for the growth of industrial. So I think it's, I think, you know, we're excited. We think it's going to work out very well for our investors as well. So I've got to ask you this question. You know, we cover one of your closest competitors, Stag, who's, you know, based in Boston and we followed them when they went public. Uh, so, you know, I see a lot of similarities with the business model. And I'm just curious, have you thought about the monthly dividend? I mean, you mentioned institutional support. The one thing we've seen with Stag is uh, with that monthly dividend um, is they have, you know, catered to that, you know, to that retail investor with that monthly dividend, same as realty income. Uh, just got off the phone with, uh, or a Zoom call rather, with uh, David Gladstone, who has uh, Gladstone Land. They pay monthly. Um, so I'm just curious, that's, you know, that's one of the few things that's different is not paying monthly. Have you thought, have you and your board, you know, thought about a monthly plan or is that uh, you just kind of like the, the quarterly model? I mean, I, th I think we like the quarterly right now um, because we're in, we are in growth mode. I mean, Stag's growing as well. Right. Um, you know, we are, I mean, again, if, if you remember our heritage, you know, myself and Penn, you know, you've talked to Penn in the past. Our heritage, you know, was about, uh, you know, we formed this REIT ourselves and we started it because we believe in the you know, permanent capital. We also believe that, uh, you know, everyone should own REITs. I mean, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be out talking to some sophisticated, uh, you know, you know, wealthy people, if you will, that, that, you know, have money to invest in stocks and what have you. And they'll ask me, what's a REIT? And I, I you know, you're not, you're not doing a good enough job, Brad, because you need to educate everybody out there to own REITs. I mean, um, well, next time, next time, you know, bradtom.com. There right. <laughs> you go. I, that, that's a good one. So that to us is um, what I'm going with this is that, you know, we're big believers in re dividend income. I think it's, uh, you know, especially in today's yield starved environment, um, you know, everyone seems to be going passive, but I really believe active, you know, active following your, your recommendations in, uh, in the REIT land uh, is going to do well for people. So I, I think we're going to stay quarterly for a while. Um, but we are big believers in the dividend and uh, we right-sized it not too long ago. Um, you know, we're still, a, still, still like, I think we're still the, the high payer in the, in the, re, in the industrial REIT space for, uh, for, for the dividend. And, um, you know, I, another thing I'll, I'll, I'll throw out there, which I think is different from a lot of REITs of a lot of companies is that, you know, we have uh, 29 employees soon to be 30 and every one of our employees receives some, uh, some stock 
you know, restricted stock as part of compensation. And why every REIT doesn't do that for every employee, um, you know, maybe, you know, some do, I haven't gone through the list to see who does and who doesn't, but I know a few that don't. And I just find that shocking. You look at um, some of the senior management and look how much stock they own it. It's, it's kind of shocking. Yeah. So, so we like to have, you know, our, 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 I talked a lot to about the, you know, about the dividend to our employees, what it means to them. They get a check every quarter. Um, so we're, we're happy about where we are right now with the dividend. I think, think it'll stay quarterly for a while, but um, you know, I thought stag was onto something with the monthly, but it doesn't look like a lot of people have jumped on that bandwagon yet, but. Well, I'll say, you know, again, I think probably more retail investors, which again is not, is not market moving, but um, it does provide that sticky money to investors. So I do have a lot, I know I'm one, but there are a lot of retail investors who gravitate. Plus, you know, what Stag also does and other companies, but Stag in particular, they'll, they'll also provide uh, more frequent information uh, to investors, whether it be acquisitions. And I don't know if they still do that, they used to provide a lot more frequent and current uh, information. So it really boils down to transparency and really trying to provide, obviously dividend is one part of that transparency, but there's that other additive information as well. And again, I, I have this conversation quite a bit with pro- practically every CEO I talk to, especially ones that don't pay quarterly, I uh, pay monthly rather. I ask them that same question. And again, it's, it's really that balance of institutional you know, coverage versus retail coverage. And then you have this, this, this uh, middle ground called ETFs, which I would classify as a retail uh, business. But, um, but anyway, it's interesting. And again, a lot of companies, Realty Income had a predominant retail base when they started and they've been able to grow that institutional and really balance that retail and, uh, um, and quarterly. And I'll say this, most REITs in Canada do pay monthly and that is primarily a function of the fact that most of the investors in Canada are retail investors. So Canadians, for whatever reason, institutional Canadian investors prefer private investment deals versus public for whatever reason. Um, and, and so, um, you know, that's what it is. But I got uh, want to ask you one last thing is uh, we talked about your equity, but let's talk about the debt. I mean, I know one thing, you did have a little higher leverage than your peers. Again, I know you started out smaller, obviously, with a small base. But how do you feel about your financial flexibility today in your balance sheet? Uh, today, with, um, with our equity offering last week, we feel very good about it. You know, we um, um, can't talk about some things that we're working on, but we're working on, um, which, which I did talk about on the last call, you know, we are working with our, our syndicated banks to recast our credit facility. There's a term loan that's sitting out there that uh, one of the banks provided us that was uh, very helpful for us. And we're in the process of working through that. So again, industrial asset class, we have, um, you know, life company debt that's sub three that's out there. Um, You know, banks are even more eager to lend into industrial assets because of some of the other asset classes are having a little bit of trouble. They're not really making new loans into those asset classes. So I think again, being in the space we're in is very beneficial. Um, we, you know, we, we indicated on this last raise that we would use some of these proceeds to delever somewhat and, and get our, you know, our, 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 our EBITDA percentage down, um, you know, debt to EBITDA percentage. And I think we will do that. That's what we said we we're going to do. And, and our goal is to get that down. Um, 
you know, I think if you look at our last, at the end of the last quarter, we were about uh, probably eight, uh, signed on 6.30 from our filing. I think we were 8.1 8, 8 on EBITDA. You know, we'll get that down, I think, significantly uh, from this raise. And there's three, there's three pillars that we work off of, um, you know, feedback from, from institutional investors has been, um, you know, payout ratios, uh, your, your size and liquidity is important to, you know, to garner the large institutional support. And um, the other one is your, you know, is your debt, is your leverage. And so we, we heard that loud and clear. We right-sized the dividend, our payout ratios are, you know, less than 50%, which we think is, is, is great. Um, you know, our liquidity is getting up there uh, based on this last race. We like that. And then the other one is the leverage. And we're going to bring that down over time. Uh, I think, you know, the calculations are all done off of book value a lot of times. And that's why people like to use, you know, the, the EBITDA multiples. But, you know, our leverage on a, mar on a market value is significantly below 50% leverage. Yeah, I think. I think, you know, when I talk to real estate people, they, they're shocked, right? When you talk to institutional REIT investors, they think that's high. So, you know, yeah. we're, I think we're right in the middle and uh, we're going to, we're going to get it. We're going to get it lower. Yeah. You know, we just finished up. We're actually launching this weekend a scoring system. We call it the IREIT IQ. Uh, I don't have in front of me what Plymouth's IQ is. Uh, so it's not really an intelligent score. It's, it's really more of a quality score. That's where the Q comes from. And, um, but we use a number of, of metrics to score. So when we show that uh, result next week, you'll see things, for example, we use our, our debt to total cap, our weight, the weighted average cost of capital, payout ratio, market cap, funds from operation growth, uh, rent collection, and uh, S&P credit rating. So we kind of consolidate everything from dividend safety, earnings, uh, and we automate this model. And so we can use a, uh, you know, sector, a REIT by REIT, sector by sector, and we can screen these quality scores as zero to 100. Um, and Prologis is up there fairly high. I know, uh, I don't know what Plymouth is. I don't, again, I don't have that in front of me. We'll put that in our, in our article. But, but those are all important metrics. And, and that's how we're going to be screening for, you know, our companies for our portfolios. Uh, you know, obviously screening also for valuation metrics as well. So uh, anyway, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how Plymouth scores. Uh, I'll send you that. And, um, you know, also we just want to tell you, thank you for, for your time. We did upgrade uh, Plymouth recently to a, uh, uh, to a buy. I'm, I'm now official shareholder in, in your company. So uh, we're really excited there and looking forward to seeing more growth ahead. It looks like you do have plenty of uh, multiple expansion opportunities you know, on the horizon. So hopefully uh, the next, you know, two, several quarters will be pretty good to you and me. <laughs> I, I hope so. We're, uh, we, we welcome you as a shareholder and, um, you know, reach out anytime. We're, uh, we're accessible. Sounds good. Thanks again and, and uh, have a good weekend.